Welcome to Horror in Session, a podcast where a horror expert talks through the history of horror with a new fan. As always, I'm your host, Raina, and I'm joined by Kayla. Hi, how are you this week, Raina? I'm good, and yourself? Pretty good. About to go to my friend's wedding, so I'm excited for that. <laughs> Ooh, super exciting. And this week, we are joined by Abby Montiel. She is an entertainment writer who has written for Insider, Film School Rejects, and Thrillist, among others. Abby, how are you doing today? I'm good. Thanks for having me. No, thank you for agreeing to come on. <laughs> um, yeah, so many. We have so many. Um, our last Shay was Film School Rejects, too. Yeah, we're taking over. Yeah, I believe, what the I heck? Believe, uh, I believe Mary Beth was, too. Really? Yeah, oh, my we gosh. Were, yeah, we were in the same intern class. She wrote this really good piece about, like, final girls. And yes. so she's great. I love cool. that one. Um, but yeah, I guess we're just having like the entire like uh, film school rejects <laughs> al- alumni on here eventually. Yeah. <laughs> Gotta catch them all. <laughs> yeah. Much. Um, so this week, lesson six, we are discussing remakes, uh, a hotly Ooh. debated topic in horror. If I, that's just me putting it lightly, but I feel like the ones I picked out this week uh, provide a good amount of conversation. So. If you guys are ready, we'll get right into it. Um, Topic number one is The Invisible Man from 1933 and 2020. The 1933 version is directed by James Whale, director of Frankenstein, and it was remade in 2020 by Lee Whannell. The 1933 (laughs) version features Claude Rains as the lead, while the 2020 version features Elizabeth Moss as the focus. The 1933 version sits at 94% on Rotten Tomatoes, while the remake sits at a close 91%. The 1933 version was Universal's most successful horror film since Frankenstein and is considered a landmark in special effects for the time. While the 2020 remake is credited with launching an active reinterest in Universal monsters with the Wolfman, Dracula, and a recently announced Invisible Man sequel to follow. Kayla, is, are, is this your first time viewing these ones? Uh, well, not invis- not the remake because that was a popular film earlier this year, and like one of the only films I saw this year since there wasn't that many. Um, it was like one of the last films I saw in theaters. It was that, and then I saw a Portrait of a Lady on Fire, and then Ooh. theaters were closed. Yeah, <laughs> so some pretty good ones before the theaters closed out. And I mean, when I when you were telling me about the original Invisible Man. I had no idea that there was an original Invisible Man, but I kind of had a feeling that it'd be a totally different story because, I mean, that remake is so modernized. I was like, there's no way that an original would be anything close to that. So I really enjoyed the fact that both films were just so different. Um, I think that the modern take on it was a very, really smart of them to do. And I like the technological aspect of it because like technology is something in our lives that is oh, becoming pause. Huh? Yeah. Pause. Pause. Sorry. Going forward, spoilers for the Invisible Man 2020. If you haven't seen it, please pause this podcast and go watch it. Oh yeah, because that's a big, big spoiler. <laughs> yeah, you said technological, and I was like, wait, yeah. hold up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's because that's a pretty recent film. Um 
But yeah, so the technological aspect of the remake, I think, just makes a lot of sense because I think technology is something in our lives today that's, you know, kind of a villain in our lives. So I really like that. And I also um, think that it was, I think that they treated the storyline of the abusive relationship um, really well. Um, And I like the fact that like, um, metaphor, I, you know, of course, I'm not like telling people like they should go and kill their boyfriends, (laughs) but metaphorically, good for her, you know, like she got her, um, you know, she got over that hump that that person caused to her. And I liked seeing um, the PTSD aspect of it. And I just think it was really the remake was a really interesting movie that like, brought up a lot of issues and the original is also just like i don't know it's just total vibes <laughs> <laughs> then uh abby do you have any history with these two particular movies yeah so i'd seen some of the i'm slowly going through all of the universal monsters especially in october but the invisible man was one that i hadn't really been as familiar with um i also the Invisible Man was also one of the last movies that I saw in theaters this year. I saw it at a packed screening on the opening night and people were like screaming and cheering. And and I don't know, it just makes me sad because thinking of other movies with upcoming release dates that are just so perfect to watch with a big audience. But that was a great experience. And then I went back and rewatched the 1933 version. And I was familiar with the H.G. Wells story So I think that was pretty similar. I thought it was interesting that they pre-code, they also took a lot of steps to make Griffin more sympathetic in a way. Like they added, I also love in Universal monster movies how there's like the one hot girl that's like, no, don't become a monster. You're so sexy. (laughs) (laughs) And um, Flora, who mainly serves to kind of make him a more human character, I would say. And then they also kind of took some of the culpability away from him for kind of unraveling because of not being able to reverse the effects of the invisibility by adding that chemical that kind of was responsible for driving him mad. So I thought it was interesting how that one kind of took some of that away from the male character. And then I really loved Invisible Man 2020 because I was also reading a column before I came on about how with Me Too being more prevalent in Hollywood, especially like their attempts to kind of translate that to film a lot of them have been through like the all-female reboots like Ghostbusters and Terminator which can be great I think um one of the reasons like why people don't latch on to them as much sometimes is that it is just like putting female characters into like a male hero's arc and it doesn't really reckon with specific issues that like women might face and that kind of cynical just whips mismatching can also kind of feed into like misogynistic critics validation and like not really wanting those stories but I thought Invisible Man was so smart because in a lot of the invisibility movies it's usually drives the men to madness but here it's deployed as a weapon to torture Cecilia through gaslighting and domestic violence and yeah I just thought it was a really it's probably one of the best um, uses for a Me Too film that I've seen just because we always have women that are coming forward, it seems like every single week with really reliable claims like domestic violence and abuse, but a lot of the times that's all they have to go on and they're getting gaslit so often that they don't usually get that catharsis that Cecilia gets at the end, like good for her. But um, 
yeah and I think putting it through the lens of a horror movie where it's not like oh my god this is like a super like prestige Oscar movie even though it's great where people can just kind of enjoy it in a theater and like laugh and scream and then having that moment of catharsis I think it really drove that home in a really organic way so I'm excited to see like how they'll kind of try and tackle that through like Wolfman and some of the upcoming sequels but yeah I really liked it I thought it was like a really promising reinvention of universal horror god damn that's gonna be hard to follow up (laughs) I know right wow I I love that a hundred percent um my personal history with this is uh growing up out of all the universal monsters and revisiting this pretty recently because i bought that massive dirty film set Um, yeah i love it one of the best purchases i've ever made um (laughs) but growing up the invisible man was like my favorite of the universal monster movies because more so than the others he was portrayed as like this tragic and sympathetic character like he wasn't inherently evil like it was a side effect of him turning invisible and to me the most horrifying aspect of that was that he couldn't reverse it like he was racing against the clock to try and reverse it knowing that he was slowly going more and more mad and to me that that kind of just struck a chord because uh dementia and schizophrenia runs in my family and i don't know it's just kind of one of like my fears of like being stricken with that and possibly like for lack of a better term, losing my mind and grip on stuff. So that movie really stuck out with me on that aspect. And then uh, to reiterate what you guys said, this actually was one of the last movies I saw in theaters. Um, Not not a very exciting screening because it was the day before AMC closed to due to coronavirus and somebody coughed and I swear every head in the theater like turned around. That was the scariest part. <laughs> yeah, oh no, that was a that was a hundred percent the scariest part. I was getting paranoid like partway through the screening, but um, still a very good movie. I'm glad I got the opportunity to see it, and uh, I agree with your statements that I think this one more so than other movies in the Me Too era works because it's it doesn't feel forced. It's tailor made for the story about abuse and gaslighting. It wasn't like a palette swap of like, oh, the characters are female now. And mm-hmm. I think it was interesting to see that story, not through the titular monsters like eyes. It, it was, it was interesting to see it through it, through his victim. And uh, just the catharsis of like that entire ending scene at the dinner table. It's like, it's like insert <laughs> insert the good for her gif here. Um, I literally laughed out loud. I laughed. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> it's it it's it, it's super immensely satisfying, and and I know there are detractors out there that are like, why is it even called Invisible Man? Like, it doesn't follow like the original story at all. But to me, it's like such a modern updating that literally updates it quite good for the modern era like Mm -hmm. i think hd wills would totally be into it if he was alive it makes sense because it's something that could likely happen like in this day and age when we're having all these technological advancements that are actually quite scary it it's like it's not something that's very far off so i feel like that increases the scariness of it too 
Yeah, and I think this is kind of like the most viscerally, because as I was watching it, I was viscerally kind of feeling upset. And even if there were the jump scares and stuff like that, just because of the the methods of abuse, like when he was switching like her birth control pills or like taking photographs without her consent, like when you're watching like Evil Dead and Suspiria, you're like, yeah, I'm probably not going to end up in a ballet coven of witches, even though that would be kind of cool or like, Hopefully I'm not stupid enough to summon demons, but like these are things that happen like every single day. And a lot of the times there isn't that catharsis at the end of it. So I think that made it hit a lot harder. Definitely. And I think it's important that it's highlighted in film because I think so often it's so hard to distinguish um, emotional and domestic abuse when it's from coming from someone you love. And I think this whole film will hopefully help people recognize it happening to their friends or even to themselves. So, so, so when this movie came out, I had, I had just gotten out of a very like emotionally and physically abusive relationship. So at first this movie was very hard to swallow for me, like, because I didn't realize it at the time, but like, I was being gaslit to no end Mm -hmm. and to see that portrayed on screen, like super accurately. I, I can't think of a movie that comes close to the way it's like accurately portrayed. It was like super haunting. Like it genuinely must've felt like how people in the thirties watched the original where it's like, Oh, this is the most frightening shit I've ever seen. Yeah, I'm so sorry you went through that. How how did it was it hard to watch the film or um like was it gratifying for you? Uh, yeah. That's a that's a complicated answer. Um it it was it was gratifying. It's like I'm not going to slash the throat of my ex, but you know, it was satisfying watching somebody do that to theirs. Yeah. It's <laughs> but, metaphorical, uh, I feel like, you know. It can be yeah. metaphorical. Yeah. yeah, and I think it also works just because when people are very resistant to be like, oh, they're trying to make it like feminist or like progressive. Um, whereas in this point, it's very allegorical, like it's very clear what they're trying to mm-hmm. convey mm-hmm. about abuse and gaslighting, but it's also through the lens of this horror story. And I just love when horror can be used to talk about kind of social ills and stuff like that where you're still getting really invested through like the thrills and the writing of it but you're also you walk away kind of having that empathetic realization a hundred percent agree um i found it super super surprising that they announced a sequel like literally just about like three days ago i think i didn't Uh, hear that yeah they they announced that blumhouse and lee winnell um are developing a sequel that he's going to tackle after his Wolfman adaptation. And I kind of made the joke. I was like, just let it be like a quirky screwball comedy, like invisible (laughs) woman and just have it be Elizabeth Moss just going around having like invisible hijinks because after what she went through in this movie, I think she deserves a break. Yeah. I'm excited, but also like leave Cecilia alone, like let her rest, let her get some therapy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I would, I would, even like just seeing totally new characters pick up yeah um, like an anthology yeah yeah because because in the movie is i almost feel like his brother would have done something else off to the Ooh. side with it with that suit 
<laughs> so I almost feel like there's a story there that they could tell. Yeah. Yeah. Or uh or they could just do like the original Universal sequels. Um for context, Kayla, uh the Invisible Man sequels, the original Universal ones. It's a different Invisible Man every movie. Oh, okay, yeah. That works. I like that. Yeah. yeah. So they take like the anthology approach. Like fun fact, the Invisible Man returns i believe the second one is one of vincent price's first horror films who's that (laughs) (laughs) he's he's the spooky voice at the end of thriller okay 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 i feel like the anthology approach also works really well especially with this one because for the original obviously it's a scientific thing that you can't really reverse but for this one because anyone can just put on the suit like as we've seen so it makes Mm -hmm. it so much easier yeah you know i thought i was gonna hate the technological aspect like you knew you spoiled somebody, it for yourself? Somebody had spoiled it for me on accident. <laughs> oh, no. So so I went in and I was like, I was kind of prepared to hate it because I was like, oh, it's not a serum like the original, like stomping my foot down. But but the way they did it, I was like, oh, shit, I actually really dig this. <laughs> yeah. Just like the opening scene where she sees that really creepy like lab, like it's so scary. Yeah. yeah, and like I and I like the fact that you're thinking, how can this be possible for half of the film, and it's, it's such a big reveal. I think that was fun. I think I think Lee Winnell. I mean, obviously, he's getting the credit where credits due now because of this movie. But I've always thought his scripts were like super smart, like um, like so the original Saw. It's like one of my favorite horror films of all time. Just because I think like that script is like clockwork, like every decision made in it is like super intentional. And then, like uh, I don't know if you guys saw Upgrade before this one, um, mm-hmm. same thing. Just every decision in it felt super intentional. Like it feels like he genuinely puts his all into his scripts. Mm. I and, haven't yeah. seen those two actually, but we're watching Saw next week. Exciting it's... stuff spoilers for next week's episode (laughs) um but i i don't know i'm super excited i'm very glad that this movie was successful enough to generate interest into these classic monsters because i feel like universal's been kind of sitting on them for a while with the exception of the tom cruise mummy movie but we don't talk about that (laughs) we don't talk about it except that funny imax trailer missing the audio Oh my god, yes. <laughs> Where you just hear like his scream. It's so great. Um but, uh yeah, and the acting in this movie is so great. Like Elizabeth Moss, like she kills it in everything I see her in. And I admittedly wasn't a fan of her before, and then this movie caused me to go back and watch like everything else she's done, and I was like, Oh, she's like the real deal. Yeah, yeah she's that was good. What initially kind of sold me on it when I hadn't seen the original is I'd seen her obviously in like Mad Men and Handmaid's yes. Tale and a few other movies, but just like the Elizabeth Moss unraveling cinematic universe, 
I love like I love how at this point after the role she's been taking lately if you saw her in a rom-com it would be like a jump scare or just like her having a good time because she's just so good with that and surely she's having a great kind of like horror psychological thriller year which we love uh, I need to watch Shirley still do we do we have any closing thoughts on these two Invisible Man movies? I know we didn't really talk about the thirty three one, but you know that's you all do right. The Invisible. <laughs> <laughs> um. The okay. Something about the original. I have to say though, um, one of my favorite, um, that we have watched so far out of all the Frankenstein's we did, out of all the Dracula, I loved Invisible Man the most out of everything i just thought it was such a vibe so and i because i thought it was like funny it, it was a it was comical oh so. the part where he's like skipping down the street and just his pants and it's like <laughs> That's what pants. It's, yeah. it, it's so great or we're like where he appears in the car and he's like i said i was going to kill you and he like makes the car fly out the cliff it's, <laughs> it's so great um God, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah. James Whale, director Frankenstein, directed it. So we love a gay icon directing it. So, yeah. yeah. I genuinely think a lot of the special effects, like, they held up pretty well for me while I was watching. Like, if I was watching that in 1933, I think, yeah, my head would have, like, exploded. Like, if you've never <laughs> seen special effects before, that's yeah. insane. It's, it's, it's like I was they... like, what? How did they do that? It's yeah. like they got an invisible man. It's so they great. did. I mean, I they don't have special effects back then. How they do that? So like, there's this it, invisible man. They got him chained up on the Universal lot. <laughs> it's, still there. Um, it's 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 so great. Like I, Claude Rains was such a trooper because you literally don't see his face until the last ten seconds when he dies in the bed. Oh, true. Wow. That's like voice acting. It's like a very physical, like, performance, too. Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like people forget that. Like, it's literally, like, acting through his movements. Before we segue into the next topic and while the sirens are going off, I wanted to bring this up. So I went to the last movie I ever saw before COVID was Portrait of a Lady on Fire, and I saw it at the Arclight Dome in Hollywood. Um, I... It was a Wednesday evening. Like nobody was there in the showing. I think maybe max like 20 people and three seats away from me. Like Ryan Johnson was sitting there. What the fuck? Yeah. Like my, my friend texted me. He's like, Hey, look over. And I like turned and I was like, Holy shit. Oh my (laughs) gosh. Yeah. The last movie I saw was, um, we went to the Museum of the Moving Image in Queens, and there was, like, a pre-screening of First Cow, and Kelly Reichardt was there, Ooh. and that was, like, so that was a good one, but I, my friend that I was going with was late, like, the train was stalled, so she was like, yeah, let's just grab quick dinner at Applebee's, so I was just in Applebee's alone for, like, 35 minutes, getting, like, a mucho lit margarita, so mm-hmm. it was, like, a good last cinema yeah. experience. <laughs> You just, you just went in there with just like just a slight buzz <laughs> yeah and i yeah my friend emily who also writes for film school rejects <laughs> there are too many yeah she had interviewed her so they were like talking after the screening and i i didn't say that much because like i don't know i was like kind of starstruck so i was like hi you're great but we love the cow 
Oh, we yeah. Both like, oh. I haven't seen that yet and I really want to, but I'm waiting for a day that I just want to relax, maybe like a rainy day to like yeah. sit down. Sweet I'm boys. Over, I'm, yeah. I'm over here gripping the table, begging A24 to release Saint Maud. They they released know. it today in the UK. Yeah, I my don't Catholic, in the UK. I literally went to twelve years of Catholic school, so like my Catholic guilt is just like I hate waiting. Come on. <laughs> Okay, but yeah, I've that's heard great things. That's that Catholic guilt is like something that like gets brought up like on every episode because I was raised Catholic. <laughs> Woo! Yep, it is still there. It's it's like if you are raised Catholic, you either end up growing up either gay or a witch. So, you know, why don't we have both? Yeah, <laughs> why not both? Gay um, witches, yay! Speaking of witches, that could be a great segue into our next topic. Wow. Topic number two, Suspiria, the 1977 version directed by Dario Argento. It was remade in 2018 by Luca Guadagnino. The 1977 version stars Jessica Harper, while the 2018 version stars Dakota Johnson, among many others. The 77 version sits at 93% on Rotten Tomatoes, while the 2018 version sits at a polarizing 65%. The Italian original is considered a landmark in the use of vibrant color palettes in film, whereas the remake decided to take the opposite approach and feature a very muted color palette to avoid emulating the original film in any aspect aside from the basic story. Dario Argento panned the 2018 film, saying it, quote, betrayed the spirit of the original. Kayla, thoughts on this? So I actually saw Suspiria for the first time maybe a month or two ago, the remake. And I was not impressed. I paused that movie a hundred times and I just thought it, um, it dragged on. Um, and then, so I was not that excited to watch the original. And then I watched the original and I was like, yes, that was it. That was what I was looking for. Um, I just think, I think, and then I appreciated the remake more after watching the original because I was like, okay, that story is actually pretty good. I, <laughs> it's pretty interesting, but I think the remake just drags on so much that movie's like two hours and thirty minutes for no reason. Not for, not for no reason, but it's just like it's a little much. And then the the original is just so straight to the point, and I love that ending scene where it's like I am she in the red screen and all that I do love that part in the remake but in the original I I thought it was more effective for her to just be a normal girl and she is resisting um this and battling um, Marcos just from the strength of her own will I thought that was really cool and I thought um the movie just felt more straight to the point where the remake just felt really convoluted and there's so many stuff there's so much other stuff going on that it gets confusing um like the political stuff i don't i don't understand what was the point of the political edition in the in the remake so if you guys could enlighten me on that i would love to know um yeah abby you want to take the reins on this one I can try. So I also, I had seen the 1977 one, I think about four or five years ago, when we heard that it was going to get adapted into a new version. And I loved it. I hadn't seen a lot of Giallo before. And I was just so taken in by how the colors kind of did double duty 
as being both like oh they're supposed to be like symbols of like vitality because they're just so like bright and open but then like obviously the academy is like rotting and there's a lot of like menace under there so I liked how the Technicolor kind of captured the visceral emotions that people were going through because it's definitely a movie that's like atmosphere over like plotting and like characterization to some extent and I was excited for the new one like the Dakota Johnson the red lace front like it did what it had to do um and yeah I was interested in because I the color was one of my favorite parts of the original and I saw it on Halloween night in 2018 kind of high and I loved it and I really liked it in that sense I really liked how the dancing was adapted because when I was re-watching the 1977 one I was struck by how you don't really see them dancing that much it's more about the setting itself but I loved this just because I find dance and horror is something that I really like to focus on and I liked how in this version like it was meant to be like a more matriarchal thing to parallel the history that was going on and like dance itself is kind of a it's a fucked up sport like you have to contort your body into like these really unnatural positions and shapes like that so I thought the really kind of brutalist choreography and the decision to relocate it to Berlin where there's the German autumn going on and how that kind of parallels like how there's like these younger dancers coming in and the mothers are kind of like grooming them we learn later to revive um fuck what's her name um yes I'm I'm dumb but like yeah when I first watched it I'll be honest like the historical stuff totally went over my head like I definitely I think it's definitely a film that requires repeat viewings which can sometimes get on my nerves because I like when it makes a good statement the first time but yeah I thought that was interesting because it definitely leans into I've heard Guadagnino say like he wanted to de-victimize the women coming in because Susie and the original was very much like kind of doe-eyed virginal whereas the teachers are kind of cartoonishly evil like he's leaning into it so it has more of that horror thriller vibe and like they don't have male companions they're just like evil and obviously the ones here aren't great either but there's definitely more like shades of gray like literally the whole movie shades of beige and gray so mm-hmm. um but yeah I thought that was interesting how he kind of tried to parallel like um where there's the younger generations that are doing supposedly like terrorism and bombings in the street after the holocaust and all these atrocities that Germany has just gone through whereas um the older people like the Tilda Swinton psychologist is kind of reluctant to accept there's something going on with the witches which I guess you can draw parallels to like older Germans that didn't want to admit that all those atrocities were going on versus um the witches are also willing to kind of like feel like they have ownership over that younger generation so that they can keep perpetrating these kind of like horrific acts that they're doing I thought that was interesting I was definitely much more interested in the witches themselves and I love how it was mostly just women because I don't know I think it's so boring when all the female characters have to be like right and good like I love when they're kind of fucked up um but yeah I really enjoyed that I definitely agree it could have been 20 minutes shorter for Mm -hmm. sure I am she is iconic um and I actually liked the color palette because it is such like they're kind of emphasizing like the post-war guilt and like the brutalism 
And then when there are those really bright shots of red, it is kind of like a reckoning and like it makes the gore work really well. And yeah, I really like it. I love the soundtrack. I was I was going for a hike in the woods yesterday and I was like bopping Suspirium and I was living my best life. But yeah, I think the Volk is very iconic. I like how like just in terms of memorable, really gory horror, the scene where the Olga's body is being contorted and just the way it equates that with like kind of using these people's bodies to accomplish kind of perpetrating that really complicated and like problematic system I thought it just like has stuck in my head for two years and yeah I love the 1977 one I think especially for what it's able to do with color and horror and how it influenced the giallo and that one's probably still my favorite I think Jessica Harper's great but yeah head full (laughs) Good, good lord i always feel intimidated following through no, on that i just ran i just dabble i'm sorry no it's 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 great because uh that's that's kind of how i read the 2018 one as like a commentary on european guilt for lack of better mm-hmm. term um especially given its setting being post-world war ii and the older generation not really recognizing that what was going on during their time was like fucking atrocious um Mm -hmm. and reluctant to believe everything else um it was kind of jarring oh i'm sorry you had something no i was just agreeing with you oh okay okay um it was kind of jarring to see this one because uh the original 77 version was one of my favorite films growing up i think out of all time it's like my number two or three it's it's genuinely a movie i i love i love it got me it was like a gateway to like so many different movies because it was like oh this director was influenced by this and it was also like a gateway into argento and now i have like practically all of his movies on blu-ray for some reason even the bad ones um (laughs) but the way that they took like the bones and structure of the original and gave it like literally a whole new life like when i see a remake especially of something as iconic as suspiria i don't want to see the same movie over again i want to see a new take on it like what like how can you contextualize the content in it for a modern audience and i feel that the 2018 one for sure in my mind is one of the best remakes because it does that tenfold in my mind and I do get the polarizing aspect. Like I, get, I have known numerous people that walked out going like, "Whoof, that was, that was not for me." And it's like, oh, I totally understand. Um, I also view the movie as like the danger of like, like, the overbearing love of a mother. Mm-hmm. Like, like the way yeah, like she accepts. Yeah, it's mommy issues. The movie like she literally <laughs> has a vagina on her chest at the end. Um. It's so great. Um, Let it speak. Yeah, pretty much. And then uh, I I love how, like, there's no men in this movie, like, at all, really. Like, yeah, they each- oh, they totally replaced the other man. That's why. Yeah. Like, yeah. I thought that was a super interesting choice. Yeah, which I really appreciate just because I think it can be so hard to find movies and series that really grapple with how complicated 
female generational violence and trauma can be because I think a lot of the times it's watered down because people want to there's still that stereotype and impulse to portray like mothers or like mother-daughter relationships as like oh my god like angelic and like sacrificial or in other times like Carrie and stuff like that it can kind of I love Carrie but it can definitely go like over the top and be kind of campy and I love the part where she I don't love that his memories get erased, but I love how she's like, oh, we don't need like your shame and stuff like that. Cause it's has that really good historical parallel. And I do think that can go a little overboard in the remake as well, although I like it, but I like how, yeah, it's so like matriarchal and it's allowed to be messy and gross and scary. It's, it's crazy that a movie with like such heinous, like and violent acts like throughout it, uh, ironically has like one of the most loving endings i think i've ever seen in a horror movie question True. mark like that ending like aside from the memory like erasure i think is like one of the most beautiful things about it like yeah we don't need your shame we don't need your guilt like we have our own and it's like it's kind of freeing him from that um i kind of like drew parallels of that ending to the ending of his previous film, uh, Call Me By Your Name. Like, mm-hmm. I, I, yeah. ironically, like, both of them super loving, but, like, in their own unique contextual ways. I don't know. Yeah, I, feel, I, I feel definitely like... see that. I think there's, and there's just a certain um, vibe of both, you know, it, they both have the same type of um, things, uh, thematical things going on, but also, like, the vibe of it, too. So I definitely saw that as well. So I'm glad you brought they, that up. Yeah, they have like closure, I guess yeah. is what I'm looking for. Yeah, like, I actually prefer when he does really bleak fucked up stuff to like call me by your name or we are who we are. Like mm-hmm. I want more of that from him, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, the fact that he's doing, I don't know which one he's doing first. He's doing either Lord of the Flies or or Scarface first. So yeah. I feel like more bleak stuff is coming from him. And uh, I just wanted to touch like on the soundtrack. The soundtrack is so fucking good. Get in, loser. We're going to dance the bulk. Pretty much. (laughs) It is like I bought the vinyl and like when you open it up, it's like straight up like witchcraft symbols and everything in it. (gasps) The cover is so pretty. Oh, the, the, the neon pink and neon blue. So, that's my aesthetic. That's what so, I want to achieve. So the print, the pressing that I have, it's a neon pink pressing. So the vinyl itself is just like this super vibrant pink. I want it. Oh, wow. <laughs> and it's crazy because like, it's, <laughs> I didn't know what to make of it, that it was Tom York at first, because, you know, I'm a fan of Radiohead and I like Johnny Greenwood's like score work, but I was like, I was like, that's not going to be a traditional score, is it? And he, like, literally dropped, like, songs with vocals on it. And it's, like, I couldn't have asked for anything more as, like, a Radiohead Tom York fan. I mean, speaking of speaking of soundtracks, the 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 original I was actually pretty impressed with as well. It's I liked so good. Yeah. Oh, Goblin. Goblin is <laughs> iconic. You, Very good. You know, you know when Goblin and Argento are squatting up that that's going to for sure be a vinyl purchase oh my gosh their their artist name is Goblin yeah they were like an Italian metal band what that's cool 
yeah they've they've done numerous uh soundtracks to argento movies and all of them bangers like that deep red soundtrack is such a banger well, never thought I'm i'd just... say argento and banger in like the same sentence <laughs> but here we are sometimes i'm that. like for you i feel like i'm <laughs> stupid that i have all these questions about these names you're dropping but i forget and then i remember like you're the teacher and i'm the student i'm allowed to ask these questions <laughs> and, yeah i was about to say i'm like did you forget the concept of this entire show i, know. <laughs> I was like what is that what is that because you're just like yeah name here and i'm like who the hell is that? <laughs> no, no. Uh, like, I'm sure, like, all of our listeners don't know randomly off the top of their head who Goblin is. Yeah, I love Goblin. <laughs> but uh, that that OG Suspiria, like, hands down, has got to have one of the most wildest openings I've ever seen. Oh, yeah. I, de- I definitely... like like the part where it shows like her chest like ripped open and her exposed heart and you see the knife like stab into it yeah and then the shard of glass just going into that girl's face like it's so interesting to watch and think about how giallo influenced slasher movies because that would do it yeah no yeah no kidding it's it's crazy like my friend was like i showed a friend Suspiria for the first time last year and she was like holy shit I didn't know this was a slasher I'm like it's not but you can see the influence (laughs) (laughs) the thing that failed me the most with the remake is that the opening is so drawn out and doesn't really represent doesn't make me feel like it represents the film itself um so I think that I I would like Suspiria the remake so much more if they just had a better opening Simply. I just don't get why they had to cast Chloe Grace Moretz because that would be so much more expensive. Like, no hate to her, but like, they could have easily just gotten like a lesser known actress. But she was like, no, I want to get in on this bleak witch drama for like 10 minutes. Which so <laughs> and then, yeah, to like play the opening scene and then play a corpse later on. Mm, it's. Yeah. It's it's crazy with the production of that particular remake because if I remember since like in 2011 they had first tried remaking it with uh, David Gordon Green as director, the director of Halloween 2018, and uh, he was going to cast like Natalie Portman in the lead. No. <laughs> and, and I and I genuinely wonder how that one would have turned out. I mean, what do you think, Abby? Huh? Wait, as Susie? She was going to be Susie? Yeah, she was going to be Susie, I believe. I don't know. I feel like she already had her Black Swan moment, but I didn't know she was supposed to be, like, 20 or 21 in Black Swan. And, like, no hate. She already looked... She was, like, 30. Like, I don't know. I just feel like the whole, like, young, doe-eyed American thing. Like, she won an Oscar for that. Like, she's good. But, yeah. Dakota. He's so subtle. Yeah. Yeah, and, like, I... I could back that around to like this this little tidbit about the production of the original is that like originally Dario Argento meant the original one to star like like nine and ten year old girls. Oh, oh god. Shit. Yeah, like <laughs> and and obviously he couldn't get the funding for the movie if that was going to be the case. So he like inserted like subtle cues to that. Like if you notice like all the door handles are really high, so everybody has to like reach up and grab it like they were like a little girl. 
Mm. Yeah, I love how well we get to know the dance academy, but I don't know. It's like the rooms seem to keep getting smaller and the hallways are always kind of winding more. Like we see every crevice of this place, but it still seems to be like taking on a life of its own that's kind of like rotting and changing in a way that keeps making it kind of unrecognizable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, I know it's cliche to say, but it's, I think, I think from both of these directors, I think Suspiria is genuinely one of their best films. Yeah. And, and, th- and that was something I never thought I would say about a Suspiria remake. Cause I ain't going to lie. When they first announced the remake, I was like blasphemy, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I, I, j- I find it super interesting that Argento was like, nope, I don't like this remake. Nope, they ruined it. I feel like it makes sense, though. I mean, coming from a person that um, I, I didn't like the remake that much, and then like I watched the remake first and then the original and realized that I liked, I liked Suspiria a lot more than I thought I did because I saw the original. Um, so the quote did make sense to me that he was kind of rejectful of it, but um, I mean, co- coming off of your points that you're glad that they didn't just regurgitate the same shit, I do appreciate that of the the film more. And then the European guilt thing that you guys brought up, um, it's making a lot more sense to me now. So thank you. <laughs> Not to throw shade, but at least it wasn't just another Texas Chainsaw remake. <laughs> like where it's the same shit we've seen over and over really is it bad well people like it i i don't <laughs> um, i'm just saying that out there no okay. shade <laughs> um but yeah anybody closing thoughts on suspiria before we move on i think you nailed it yeah yeah really i think i think we nailed this conversation in the bag good lord <laughs> okay yeah. before our next and last movies were remakes and originals we're discussing um a quick word from our sponsors at super yaki folks do you love movies the good ones even the bad ones everyone told you not to like it sounds like super yaki is the place for you the team at super yaki loves movies so much that they've dedicated every waking moment of their life to bringing you top quality merchandise to showcase your love for them from super soft t-shirts advocating for the immediate production of a third national treasure to comfy sweatshirts that serve as a call to arms for all those in the support of making Judy Greer America's lead. They even offer top quality enamel pins of some of your favorite directors like Sofia Coppola and Jordan Peele. Super Yaki super joyously brings you wearable love letters to the movies and filmmakers you love. Plus, the team at Super Yaki screen prints all their apparel using eco-friendly, 100% water-based inks and ships using compostable polymailers for an environmentally friendly alternative to online shopping. And as a special gift to you, listeners can save 10% on their order with the code SUPERFRIEND. All caps, no spaces at checkout. If the spirit moves you, find them at superyaki.com. That's S-U-P-E-R. Y-A-K-I.com. Let's watch more movies. Yeah, that Halloween drop of theirs was was pretty Ooh. crazy today. You got the Jennifer's Body uh, crew, or the Windbreaker, right? Yeah, unfortunately, I had to limit myself to one item, and I was like, that's the one I'm snagging this week. <laughs> <laughs> and what are you thinking of getting, Abby? 
I would love to get one of the Jennifer's body things. I don't know if I want, like, like winter's coming up, so I kind of want, like, the sweatshirt or the t-shirt. I also am a big X-Files girl, so I really love the skeptical sign t-shirt. I would love that. Yeah. And, yeah. I also love Scream, but I have already have two items I want, so I'll get the Gale Weather shirt maybe in the future. <laughs> I they post they didn't have the picture up for the um watching scary movies by yourself club and then they just posted a video of it and I actually really ended up liking that shirt and I kind of want to know I want that one too I'm I'm still eyeballing the Judy Greer as Karen shirt just because I love Halloween 2018 so much (laughs) but I digress we're not like up talking them just because they're our sponsor we genuinely love them and like i I think half i think half my closet is like their shirts so i know i can attest to that because i visited with reina last week and i saw her two or three days in a row and she was always wearing a super yucky shirt (laughs) yes um but anyway show support we thank them once again for sponsoring the show so finally our last topic and quite possibly my favorite I don't have many notes on it, but I figure we'll find a bunch to talk about with this. Um, Topic number three for today is The Evil Dead. With the 1987 original and the 2013 remake. The 1987 original was directed by Sam Raimi and the 2013 remake was remade by Fetty Alvarez. 1987 original stars Bruce Campbell in his iconic role as Ash Williams, while the 2013 version focuses on newcomer Mia who is betrayed viciously by Jane Levy. The original sits at a whopping 95% on Rotten Tomatoes and is one of the highest rated horror films on the site, while the remake currently sits at a 63%. There's debate if the 2013 film is even a remake at all and instead a secret sequel. So Kayla, why don't you get us started on this um, so I haven't seen any of these films or any of these two films. So this is exciting stuff. Uh, I started with the OG and I was like, oh my gosh, where has this movie been all my life? Um, watching it felt so October, so Halloween to me. And it, and I was like, if I could pick only one movie to watch in October every year for the rest of my life it would be this one <laughs> and I and I was just uh the gore and I I I mean I I think I've said this before I, I I'm a big fan of gore especially um the type of stuff that just looks like really unreal like something that it looks so gross and unreal that it looks like you could just like eat it I don't know if that's a weird um, comparison, <laughs> but that's what it looks like to me. And um, I really appreciated that. And I don't know, just the vibe of it all. Amazing. But so then I watched the remake and um, I, I thought it was okay. I mean, obviously, obviously you can't have the same vibes as that, you know, seven, is it? Is it the 70s? Yeah. Or the 80s, you know, filmed with a film camera and um, just different aesthetics back then. But I thought that it was interesting that we focused on 
What what is the main girl's name? Jane Levy? Mia. 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 Okay. Mia. So I thought it was interesting that we were focusing on Mia and that there was the subplot of her addiction. And in the original, we never see the demons outside of them possessing the kids. So it was interesting that in this film, we did see the demon in another form when she's, you know, looking at the other demon that's none of the other friends. And I thought it was interesting and pretty metaphorical of uh, this uh, journey of her defeating her demons of addiction. So I thought that subplot was actually really interesting. And also the um, what addiction can do to relationships and your, your family members around you. So, yeah, that's what I took from it. Abby, any thoughts on Evil Dead? Yeah, so I first got into Evil Dead when I was a younger teenager, and I also loved how kind of over-the-top gory it was. Um, looking back, I love how Sam Raimi had made it right out of film school, and I think that's what contributes to a lot of its kind of humor and kind of shabby charm, because he's doing so much with like really creative camera angles and like all the DIY stuff, like I read that they could only put the contacts in for 10 minutes or it would like permanently damage the actor's eyes, which I hope they're okay. And just like doing that with effective jump scares and a few like fog lights. So I loved that. I love how it has the humor element where it's kind of campy and over the top and it can do so much just from the special effects and how much of a big role it played in inventing the cabin in the woods genre, which I think wasn't really it was kind of reinvented with the film Cabin in the Woods, which had that extra kind of meta narrative to it. But this was definitely the defining one for that. And yeah, I hadn't seen the remake because I was a little like hesitant about it. Like I heard okay things and I kind of agree. I think it was okay. Um, I would say for me, the brother was as much of a main character as Mia, almost even more so because he's dealing with like He's our entry point back in where he's kind of been away from his sister and their friends for a while. And he's kind of also grappling with that guilt of leaving her and their mother. Um, Yeah, I don't know. I feel like the gore, I almost liked it when it was a lot campier. I think the biggest misstep for me was that they tried to make it a totally serious film because I don't think it's really suited for that. And I appreciated the addiction element and I loved how she actually got to be the kind of final girl and she had the final climactic sequence because I love the original Evil Dead it doesn't love women as much (laughs) um I think they're definitely they get by far the blunt of the violence and there's not even a female character that survives to get catharsis which is probably like my one bigger beef with it for sure but yeah I don't know I wish we'd had because I felt like the basic story where he had left and she was alone with the mom and felt kind of abandoned. I wish we'd gotten a little bit more about her versus like them kind of just using the addiction at the beginning to kind of have a separate plot line from the other and ground it more. I don't know. It felt like very surface level in areas for me until the end. And I did like that idea of confronting your demons. I kind of liked in the original how we didn't get to see the demons apart from the kids themselves because I felt like as silly as it was it was good like metaphorically like the demons are in ourselves but 
Yeah, I liked it. I like any movie where it's like raining blood. I think that's a that was badass. But yeah, this one wasn't my favorite. I don't mind if the characters are kind of thin for this kind of movie, but if you're gonna have thin characterization and background, I would like for them to at least be like some camp and levity as opposed to just like, oh, we're a serious movie with jump scares and stuff. So yeah, unfortunately, I think this was the one remake I wasn't crazy about. So, so it's crazy because we we all view the original Evil Dead as campy, but that wasn't the intent at all, ironically. <laughs> it's just that they were working with a shoestring budget, so that's how it turned out. Um, So it's weird that when they remade it, Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell, who were producers of the remake, said, oh, this is like the true vision of Evil Dead. No. Cause, yeah, because it's like... I think that's worse. <laughs> yeah, because full disclosure, my favorite movie of all time is Evil Dead 2, which leans heavy into the camp of the first one, to the point that the second one is a straight up a horror comedy. Um, And I felt like, oh, we're turning our weaknesses into our strengths while carving out an identity of its own. And I feel like for as much as I personally like the remake, I feel like the remake kind of diminishes that thought by going back to a straightforward horror. Um, I do, I do like Mia and whatnot, and I do like her brother. I do like the subtle reference that all of their names, like the first letters, spell out demon. Like what? Oh, yeah, <laughs> I feel so dumb. I did not catch that. Yeah, David, Eric, Mia, Olivia, Natalie. Yeah, and Natalie. Yeah. So like all the little bits like that. Like as a fan, it was fun pointing out, and then like how it's like, oh, ashes car from the first evil dead is in the backyard of the cabin so it's like they've been really coy of like is this even a remake or does time repeat itself over and over again because the literally the opening scene is like another group that are dealing with the book mm-hmm. so yeah i just hate when there's like a remake it, it kind of reminded me of like this isn't super similar but i love jurassic park like it's one of my favorite movies and i kind of hate the remakes where it's like for that or Rogue One when my biggest joy is catching throwbacks to the thing that I already love. Mm-hmm. I don't like that in remakes where I think the weakness of this was that it hewed so much closer, but it kind of leaned into the like generic self-serious horror things that they kind of eschewed better mm-hmm. in the original, whether intentionally or not. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I'm so I'm so close to the originals that I feel like it prevents me from getting close to the remake which mm. I feel like also its execution prevents me from getting close. I mean, literally we were going to do the evil dead musical when I was in high school and Oh my pre- God. And uh, pre-transition <laughs> I was offered the role of Ash. So the lead, Ooh. um, obviously we didn't get approval from the PTA, but you know, Boo it, the PTA. <laughs> it, was, it was something that we were discussing. So evil dead has always been super close to me. Like it was Suspiria. And once again, when this remake was announced at first, I was like, Oh fuck, what are you doing? <laughs> um, yeah. And interesting too, that the original director of the original movie was on this film. And this is the film that bombs like, 
That's so interesting to me. I people love this one, and I swear they say like, "Oh, it was unfairly criticized and whatnot." I'm um, like, no, I was like, "There's a reason they literally went back to the original series with the TV series and didn't continue." this remake series the writing is just so cringy and the the thing about the beginning of the original even evil dead is that the like the writing and the acting is so cringy but it works with the it, it doesn't the movie doesn't take itself seriously so then it just adds to the whole campiness of it but then the writing is so cringy in this one and it so, just makes it cringy so evil dead one i feel like gets that past to be campy and cringy yeah. and cliche because it literally invented those cliches it invented like the cliche of like oh the kids go to the cabin in the woods and something fucking catastrophic happens and- yeah which was strange to me that they didn't kind of want to reinvent that and turn it on its head a little more with the remake just because there have been obviously been so many imitations of the cabin in the woods trope mm-hmm. that yeah i really expected them to kind of turn it on its head more or not follow the bare bones so closely i feel like cabin in the woods the movie itself reinvented that trope i know like... and that yeah that had come out was that the same year, I think? Uh, let me confirm. I think it was 2013. I know that movie was like in hell, like release hell for like a little bit. Um, so it was shot in 2009, but didn't get a release until 2011, two years before. Oh, okay, okay. So they had time to see that movie. What were they, they doing? Really <laughs> I, I, feel, I feel like they might have looked at that and went, oh, fuck. <laughs> And the fact that the the possessing happens because that guy is just trying to learn more about the book is so boring. That was such a boring plot point. <laughs> yeah, I love when people are just making stupid decisions in horror movies. Like, it's part of the fun of it. Like, yeah. you don't have to make it serious. See, I feel like the original did that better with like, oh, they found the recording and hit play rather than like because it wasn't their fault that it was read aloud they just hit play and listen to it they didn't know like a demonic incantation was going to be on it yeah yeah for sure this guy is repeating the words out loud one by one i was like that's not realistic i don't know it just seems i I usually like the hippie character so that made me sad i was like "Eh, yeah I, i i will say i like how visceral and kind of brutal the gore is in the remake like mm-hmm. uh, that scene where he's just getting stabbed in the face by the hypodermic needle. I'm like, yeah. oh, oh my god! <laughs> yeah, the, the chainsaw. Ooh, yeah. The chainsaw. Yeah. the chainsaw at the end where she just like shoves it in the mouth of like that demon. Yeah. What I found weird about these ones was, I guess there's a little bit of it in the original, but it almost felt like at parts it was also kind of ripping off other really formative horror movies like the voice of the demon and how it was kind of shining expletives it reminded me a lot of reagan and the exorcist mm-hmm. which like yeah i don't know if you are already based on a different horror movie that laid such strong groundwork then like i don't know why are you leaning into other <laughs> landmark horror movies like what was the reason so so theory hear me out they didn't try with this because they wanted Sam Raimi to go back to his originals. Like, because. Just sabotage. I love a theory. Yeah, like secret sabotage. Because, like, 
you know for a fact that like Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell wanted to continue the original like story and obviously they got that opportunity with Ash versus Evil Dead which like disclosure is a fucking fantastic series um so in a way it's like the studio is like I feel like the studio was probably like nah we'd rather have a remake and updating it so they're like all right fine you want a remake here you go I guess I feel like Sam Raimi is very hit or miss so I kind of believe it <gasps> yeah oh, I'm kidding <laughs> <laughs> like I'm all my I'm like do not besmirch Spider-Man 2 in my presence I mean I can't I can't fully have an opinion because I haven't seen Spider-Man, Spider-Man since I was a kid is fun yeah that that whole that whole trilogy fantastic i i unironically love spider-man 3 i'll revisit i'm a it. venom girl so i respect it really yeah. <laughs> I think venom is so fun the the new venom movie is so fucking good so he good. deserved an oscar nomination over joaquin phoenix i'm not afraid oh. to say it he jumped in that lobster tank. he he yeah, wasn't that like improv? I know we're getting off topic, yes, but yeah, like I'm they obsessed. did, they did not expect him to jump in the tank with the live lobsters. Mm-hmm. The narrative structure of that movie is just bananas. I, I saw that movie like, full disclosure, saw it, saw it, low key high off my ass, um, Perfect. and I, I sat there and I was like, oh god, it's a '90s Venom comic. Like, the characterization of the character is, like, spot on. He is, like, a goofy dumbass. And the movie was just, like, ah, I, I, I loved it. Yeah, I, I love, it. like, this and the boys. Like, I hate, like, superhero movies that try too hard to be, like, the whole, like, Dark Knight, gritty, self-serious. Like, they're flying around in, like, tights and costumes and shit. Like, it's goofy. And I feel like we can wrap that back around to the Sam Raimi Spider-Man adaptations <laughs> because a hundred percent those movies, like he knows those are comics. Those movies are campy and like just the right ways and serious when they need to be. Yeah. Like, come on. It's the first one literally has an unhinged Willem Dafoe and Spider-Man two has a scene that mimics the evil dead with like, uh, the operating table. Um, I know we're getting off topic but you know sam raimi it's like you can't you can't bring him up without bringing up the superhero aspect especially know, how right? it's like especially how he's like returning to it question mark with dr yeah, strange that's crazy i i never thought i'd see the day but um it's just even funnier that they were like no you cannot make a horror um dr strange and then they were like let me just hire the horror guy sam raimi yeah yeah so i just wanted to put on there i don't know yeah i forgot that's why scott derrickson supposedly left because it was like gonna be a horror movie and like and they're like nah yeah i guess supposedly like marvel was not having it but then like hired the creator of evil dead to make it so go figure like it makes sense and 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 marvel and scott derrickson agreed on the horror stuff because it was and it was physically announced like they let him announce that so they turned their back on it for whatever reason later down the line so it just doesn't make sense to me i don't know um 
I had thoughts. I'm sorry. I'm like, no. ah, I just don't. I just feel I feel worried uh, them bringing on Sam Raimi in the, in the on the project after everything that happened with the horror stuff. That was just kind of weird that they they greenlit it and then they took it back. Um, so I just hope that they that Sam Raimi and them come to a creative agreement, because for me right now, I'm just really um having a hard time watch be looking forward to disney movies marvel and star wars knowing how much they're digging into the creative process and it's really holding them back all i know is that no matter what happens we'll always have the original evil dead trilogy which you know for context two and army of darkness are very good in fact i think two is superior um it's i don't know i'm just i'm i guess i'm kind of glad that evil dead and sam raimi are still in the conversations today about movie making and whatnot i don't know just my take as it should like yeah yeah, it's like this movie isn't iconic for no reason and god it turned bruce campbell into like a household name the bruce campbell yeah the the guy who plays Ash, he is like oh, okay. pretty much a household name in horror and does like a bunch of conventions and everything. Um, he's great. I love him. Uh, very nice man, too. I've yeah. met him before. Yeah. Ooh. And even yeah. though, like Abby said about they don't, the the, re, the original doesn't treat the woman as well as other horror movies. Mm-hmm. I did really like Ash. I thought he was a cool character. I thought he was written really well. Right. So, uh, do we have any closing thoughts on Evil Dead? Either one of you? I really want to wear zombie contacts. I think they would be super uncomfortable, or like zombie demon ones. But I think they look really cool. So, so, so fun fact: in Evil Dead Two, like, which I'm assuming you've seen, correct? Mm-hmm. Um, you know the part where he gets possessed and his eyes turn completely white. Um. I guess they were like made of glass and he said they were super painful and he could not see anything out of them. Like he was completely blind while wearing them. Okay. Not those ones, but yeah. I mean, God bless. (laughs) Yeah. You're like the modern ones. (laughs) Yeah. definitely. But uh, yeah, apparently those were not fun to wear. And, but what a trooper. Um, Yeah. Another very physical performance. Um, no. So, Kayla, do we have any announcements this week at all? I think we're good. Do wait. Was I supposed to announce something? No, I was just asking. This <laughs> is like this is like the cleanup, like outro phase. I know. Like, I, mean, I feel like this episode is kind of like a little bit more off the cuff than usual. I feel like sometimes we have a little bit more to say, but then I remember. We've actually had a lot to say about each of these remakes. Um, We've had a lot to say, yeah. Like, point being, like, I think to make a successful remake is is to recontextualize it for not necessarily a modern audience, but for the era itself and issues that go on in the era. Yeah. yeah, definitely. And kind of pay an homage to those bare bones, but not making it the defining characteristic because it was made in a different era and for <laughs> different audiences. Yeah. And, you know, remakes get a bad rep. 
they get they get hated on but i always like to remind everyone like then the existence of a remake or reboot does not does not erase the fact that the original exists true totally like so it's that, okay to like them yeah <laughs> you know if 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 you're excited for the Dune remake, by all means, please be excited. Worm, 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 worm. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I had to slip that in there because I watched the original this week and I was it's like... It's so batshit. It's fucking batshit insane and I don't think normies are ready for how fucking weird the new adaptation is going to be. No, they're trying to make it into this sci-fi epic and then Kyle McLaughlin's just muttering to himself like, the spice and the worms what does it mean yeah like you're gonna get timothy chalamet going on a hilltop yelling chome and people are gonna be like what the fuck is this like i'm so ready i'm so ready for people to be completely weirded out of what the spice actually does like i can't wait for that spice to flow oh for real (laughs) it's so weird because i know we're getting off topic but that trailer did not mention the spice once and i was like oh people are not ready for this don't tell me (laughs) i i i mean um realistically you're probably gonna watch the original before the new one so as you should because it's utterly batshit insane (laughs) dune period is batshit insane um but you know i'm happy i actually have time to possibly read the book i don't know if i will but now i could hypothetically finish it do it i've been like on this deep dive where like i watched the movie and then i recently bought the board game so now i'm like i kind of want to reread the book you read it already oh yeah i've read it like twice wow okay so you're a fan fan Oh, well, I only read it because I love David Lynch and that original movie I low-key love, even though it's terrible. There's just info dumping the first hour, and then I feel like he realizes, like, oh, fuck, there's, like, 600 pages or whatever left. And so he's like, okay, and then this happened, this happened. And, like, the second half is so delirious. It's so funny. It's like a fever dream. And, like, for context... I don't know if people are aware, but the new Dune movie is only the first half of the first book. Love that. So they're having two? Yeah. Oh, yeah. They said for sure they're like doing at least two so that they can adapt the whole first book. Yeah, at least two. I think Denny said in an interview that like he wanted to uh, he wanted to do like adaptations of Dune and Dune Messiah, but that Dune Messiah would be one movie. I hope they sign those actors to that because I don't know. Those are some pretty big name actors that they're going to have to rain down for another year. Speaking of actors, I feel like this is a good segue into our guest question. So every week we ask our guests the same question, at least until the actual movie's out when I will have to come up with a new question. But um, Abby, uh, who would you like to see play the title role in Karen Kasama's upcoming Dracula adaptation? Oh god. Um, so I've been watching Hannibal finally. I love Silence of the Lambs and I think Mads Nicholson, like he's already played the weird kind of seductive European that's mostly scary, but like, oh this guy eats people. So I think he has a good vibe for that. Like he just has the look down. And then we were talking about this off air earlier, but 
This is mostly a serious answer, kind of not, but I just love how batshit Robert Pattinson's career is and how much he commits to just being weird and out there, and I don't know, I just think he played, like, the vampire of the 2010s, and he's playing a bat, so why not bring it full circle and have him do some insane, made-up Transylvanian accent, so I think both of those would be kind of fun. So, so with those answers, would you want it to be a period piece or a modern take on the character? I think period. Hell yeah. Mads Mikkelsen in period clothes. Stop, please. Ah, I'm well, so he's glad already you played that. kind of that type before. So, I think when, he could do it. And what? I need to watch more Mad stuff. Um, it wasn't period, but just like the whole Hannibal persona yeah, that he reinvented. Yeah. I know my friend was like, "Oh, he looks like he eats people in real life." And I was like, yeah. So, so like, <laughs> like easily like play Death Stranding or watch Rahala Rising, and you can see he can get weird with it. I oh, love it. Especially, Ugh, especially, especially Valhalla Rising, a movie that I don't think enough people have seen. He, like, I know you told me like, to watch it. He plays like a one-eyed Viking. <laughs> I have to watch it. I'm so glad you brought up Hannibal and Abby. I'm obsessed with Hannibal, so enjoy. Have you finished yet? No, I'm still on season one. Okay, it's yeah, it goes down. Anyways. <laughs> so I think that wraps up our episode this yeah. week. Um Abby, do you have anything you want to promote? Like anything you're working on or where people can find you? Yeah, so you can find me on all my socials at Abby E. Montiel. And yeah, I'll just be ranting about Universal Monsters and posting links to my work and stuff. So yeah, it's a good time. Perfect. Kayla, where can everyone find you? I'm Kayla, K-A-I-L-A underscore Ren on Twitter. And all of my links are in my bio. And Raina, what about you? You can find me on all my social at JFC Doomblade. I know that's kind of a weird name, but I love it. Um, And you can always find my work at screenqueens.com or scififangirls.com. But I pretty much have bylines kind of all over the web at this time. Um, Once again, thank you to our sponsor, Super Yaki. Thank you to our listeners for tuning in. we got a special two-parter episode coming up this week with a pretty exciting guest, I would say. So keep an ear out for that. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll see you next week.